All right, welcome to the Q. Is this thing working? Yes, it is. What the hell is the name of this podcast? The QTR Podcast. How the hell is everybody? If you can hear the espresso machine in the background, that's because I'm a very fancy boy. <laughs> and I'm running late, so I'm uh, power brewing my uh, espresso here while I do the uh, sponsorship lead-in. And then uh, I got to be on time for my guest because he's got his shit together. He's running for mayor. Uh, he works on schedules and timelines, and he's got interviews. And pretty much I spend the weekend days just lounging around. You know, I went to jiu-jitsu this morning. Now I'm uh, I'm going to eat some grapes here after I'm done. <laughs> That's the extent of my day. This podcast, like all of my wonderful podcasts, brought to you by my friends over at JM Bullion, my exclusive gold and silver providers, the only place that I buy my gold and silver bullion, JM Bullion has been in business for, I think, close to a decade now. They've done over $6 billion in sales. They are the only place I buy my gold and silver bullion. Why? Because they have great inventory, their prices are reasonable, they ship discreetly, and QTR podcast listeners have their very own rep there. So if you have questions about buying bullion, you've never done it before, email Laura, L-A-U-R-A at jmbullion.com, Laura at jmbullion.com, and she would be happy to help you out. Tell her you are a QTR podcast listeners, uh, a QTR podcast, Ikben Ein QTR podcast listener, and she will make sure that you get what you need, whatever that may be, gold, silver, commemorative, uh, you know, I don't, they don't really sell too much shit, but you ever see those gold and silver places that sell like the commemorative uh you know the commemorative donald duck coin like all right yeah it's one ounce of silver 299 dollars thank you we think that's fair commemorating the 150th birthday of walt disney oh my god who cares that's why i like jam bullion no bullshit no nonsense straight up bullion just stick it up to my veins Pure gold and silver, folks. All right, what else is going on? This podcast brought to you by my friends over at the Sang Lucci Steam Room. They are offering a free trial right now. Charlie Bathgate just sent me an email with some details in it that I can't remember off the top of my head. But the point is, Sang Lucci is offering, I think, a 14-day free trial right now. If you go and sign up, find somebody at Sang Lucci. I don't care who. Sang Lucci, Wall Street Jesus, Charlie Bathgate, Find somebody at Sanglucci on Twitter. Tell anybody that QTR sent you and you want to hook up and they will make it happen. Hi, my name is blank. Insert name here. I want to try out the steam room for blank days. I am a QTR podcast listener. You know what Sanglucci is going to say? He's going to say, okay, all right, because <laughs> I party in Puerto Rico. You can do whatever you'd like. You know why? And that's why we have such a great relationship. Because it's easy for me to send people there. I know their shit works. I love their platform. Their software is beautiful. I know these guys know how to read tape. I know that they know the markets. I'm not giving you wood for my sponsorships, you know? I'm not sitting here. What's the same shit I hear on uh, every podcast? You know, those same... I'm not, I don't want to name the show, but one podcast host called me up one time. He's like, would you like to advertise my show on your show? I said, dude, I hear ads for your shit everywhere. And I said, I don't really understand the point of advertising somebody else's podcast on my podcast. If I want to advertise a podcast on my own podcast, I'll advertise my own. This is what it sounds like. I'm great, and I'm glad that you're listening. Thanks. Isn't that much easier? And you can be like, dude, I know. I'm so smart. That's why I'm already listening. Instead of having to be like, oh, I should listen to this other show because fucking QTR is kind of a jerk off. You know, but that's why he's shilling for some other guy. Not happening. It's never going to happen here. Speaking of shilling... How about George Gammon and Rebel Capitalist Pro? Fine human being, fine platform, has teamed up with Lynn Alden, Chris McIntosh, Brent Johnson. They're down at Rebel Capitalist Live in Miami right now, wearing suits, talking about things that I don't understand, drinking expensive cocktails that I can't afford. Folks, George Gammon is the man when it comes to macro and it comes to preserving wealth in a world of out-of-control central banks. Check out Rebel Capitalist Pro it is well worth it. Even their forums alone, I love to read. I love reading their mock portfolios. I know Brent Johnson. I know Lynn Alden. I don't know him personally, but I've been reading their shit for so long that I know that they know their stuff. They are perspectives that I love to hear. George, especially a great friend of mine, happy to recommend him. And just like Lucci and JM Bullion, honest people, that it's easy for me to recommend. All of their information is in the podcast description. 
So you can check that out. And now, without further ado, and also I want to thank my patrons and my listeners. Hey, you listener, what are you doing? Mowing your lawn? Thanks. I appreciate you listening. All right. Here we go. All right. I'm happy to have with me today a former Philadelphia city council member and current mayoral candidate, uh, my friend David O. How are you, sir? I'm doing great. Thanks for inviting me onto your show. I'm very happy to uh, have you on. We don't really know each other too well, but for I, I saw you when I was out running one day, and I recognized you from my last stint in Philadelphia, which was mm-hmm. some years prior, and was happy to see that. Uh, and, you know, I remember back then, I, I'm i not even sure that I was, uh, I leaned as far right as I did, but I, I liked you. You came off as a common sense kind of person. Uh, and so I was happy to see you. I was happy to see that you were still on the council. And, and when I saw you out for my run, I said, you should run for mayor. And you said, well, I might do that. And now, right. you, and now you're running for mayor. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's fantastic. So first and foremost, in the city of Philadelphia, let's talk about what dates are important because we're up against the, uh, the primary deadline here. Um, and so before we get into the issues... Uh, what's kind of the schedule for you since you're the only Republican uh, running for mayor in Philadelphia? Yeah, so we have not had a credible Republican candidate in this city uh, in the last 20 years. And I'm not saying that because I'm trying to promote Republicans. What I'm saying is what has typically happened is it's a mad dash to the the, the Democratic primary because there really is no serious Republican candidate. You can right. forget November. So there's almost a formula in Philadelphia and we have these candidates and, you know, they have 90 second answers and uh, they 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 sprint to May, in this case, uh, next Tuesday, May 16th. um, And then there's an election and we have a winner. And for all practical purposes, that's the next mayor. The problem with that is that this is a city of one point six million people. And only 300,000 Democrats vote in the Democratic primary. And no one who's an independent, a third party, or Republican can enter into that primary. So everything slants very much to the left, much more left than the rest of the city. And in the last several years, um, it has become more and more to the left to the point where we have a district attorney, uh, Larry Krasner, who openly ran on the idea that he would not prosecute certain types of crimes um, and that he would try to uh, ensure that people who the judges sent to prison did not go to prison. Um, you know, <laughs> everything in his power to basically fight a racist, um, unjust uh, criminal justice system of which he was elected the prosecutor, meaning he has one of three roles. There's a defense, there's a, a judicial, and there's a prosecution. And so uh, things have really slanted to the to the to the left uh, very hard, way past where the rest of the city is. And now, since we have eight Democratic candidates, uh, four or five of them pretty much have been neck and neck until just this last couple of weeks. That means they are targeting about a hundred thousand votes in a city of one point six million people, right. and therefore they're carving out very particular positions that the rest of the city does not like. And so May 16th, you get a winner, and that's the end. So I'm in the race because now it goes to November 7th. So there will be one winner uh, declared after the May 16th primary, and that winner and I will face off uh, November the 7th. And in that process, although they will try to you know, pretend I'm not here. That's that's very difficult to do because I'm a three-term council member, right. a former <clears throat> assistant district attorney. So I don't think they'll be able to do that. So the important date for people is you get to vote regardless of your party. You get to vote for either of the two candidates on November 7th. And a lot more people will be engaged in this race then. So for me... Uh, May 16th is an important date because I have to let people know that there is a candidate that offers a different perspective. Right. And uh, we're saying just before the, 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 the recording started, the call started, um, you know, there's been like six televised debates and I've only in, been invited to one. And, you know, the, the, the press and the media pretty much try to tell the story of how 
Um, there are only five significant candidates. They're all Democrats, and uh, they make um, like really no mention of me except as a, as a kind of a byline. However, um, as I said, I already have a lot of support, and therefore I plan my race around November 7th, right, okay. 19th. So you think you think once the Democratic primary is over that, um, you know, you'll have your opportunity to debate whoever the uh, primary winner is, right? Yeah, I believe so. I mean, they do try to avoid that, but that's pretty difficult to do. Uh, you could avoid a no-name candidate with no money. You cannot avoid debating me. Right, right. Yeah, well, you've been around for, like I said, a long time. You, you, were, you were around and you were city council member my first stint in the city, which was like 10 years ago. Yeah. And so... Uh, you have your finger on the pulse of the electorate a hell of a lot better than I do. You know, what type of chance do you, I guess two questions, what type of chance yep. do you give yourself in, you know, a state that just, you know, elected John Fetterman after that debate with Dr. Oz, right? What yes. kind of chance do you give yourself? And do you feel like now, is there anything in the zeitgeist now that is, leading you to believe that the city would be more inclined to move towards the center than they, than they ever have? Yeah. So my chances are very good. Um, what I, what I do um, is I analyze the vote before I run. Um, it's important to analyze regardless of what I decide to do. So I look at the, I look at the race. Um, I look at how it's going to turn out. And I count the votes, and it's a it's a pretty even race. Uh, you know, I will say that I expect about four hundred fifty thousand votes on November seventh, and um, it's pretty much split evenly, um, two hundred twenty five, two hundred twenty five from my from my count. The counting of votes is not really that difficult. So the first thing is a lot of the press and media will push the seven to one registration difference. That's a very, very superficial difference. For example, right now, you might have seen that a bunch of Republicans uh, are uh, switching to Democrat because they, they want to make sure that, you know, certain more radical candidates don't win. And that happens every election. That happened during the DA's race where uh, Republicans switched to a uh, Democrat to vote for Carlos Vega to try to give uh, him a leg up over Larry Krasner. It doesn't work, but what they do is they switch over and they don't switch back. And there's also people in the city who they're Republicans, um, but they just feel that their job is jeopardized by their registration. So that's one thing. It's not truly seven to one. The other thing is for the 300,000 uh, Democrats who vote, there's 500,000 who don't. And and the main reason is they don't like any of the candidates. They are primarily row house uh, voters. They are uh, blue collar workers. Um, they are more centrist, more moderate, uh, more conservative uh, than, than simply just saying that they're Democrats. Right. They don't uh, agree with defund the police. They don't agree with um, getting rid of merit in uh, magnet schools. They're not in favor of uh, heroin injection sites. These are all the things that they are against, and they can't really find a candidate on the Democrat side to articulate those points of view. And come November, they don't have a choice. So when I look at the votes, um, I have a lot of the votes, and interestingly enough, a lot of the votes are actually from immigrant communities, which, you know, uh, a lot of times people think that the Democrats have the immigrant communities, but in this city, they do not. Right. So I, I have most of the Central Asian, Asian uh, immigrant, like African immigrant, Caribbean immigrant, and, and Latino votes, only because... Um, the Democratic candidates tend to spend no time with them because, again, they're focused on the 300,000 Democratic voters and a portion of that vote. Uh, on the other hand, um, I have uh, consistently served all the different people of the city and especially those who don't have a voice. So I'm heavily involved with the, uh, the Eastern Europeans and um, and the the uh, the Mexicans and the Chinese and the and and other other folks in our city that don't normally get attention. What people don't realize is that they do vote. And there's two things that have happened that will be a first in this election. Um, pretty much a first. One one is that we no longer do the one button voting. You can't just walk in and press Democrat or Republican. You have right. to go through 
each one of the candidates. The other thing actually is mail-in ballots. Um, and the mail-in ballots actually favor me because now we're able to communicate to a lot of voters who aren't comfortable going to the polls. Uh, for example, a lot of the veterans, U.S. Uh, veterans, they're, they're uh, getting older. Um, they're worried about COVID. If they could just simply vote by, by mail, they will. But that's the same thing for a lot of the uh, people who don't speak English as a first language. Um, so they prefer to vote by mail if someone would reach out to them in their own language. And that's why I have a very robust effort to register uh, voters and to get them mail-in ballots through people of their community. Yeah, and I uh, I was actually just in Chinatown yesterday, walking past the uh, what the hell is it called the Peking Duck House? Is that is that the yeah. place? Yeah, they <laughs> yes. had a big David O sign up in the uh, up in the window, and I was driving home down ninety five too, and I saw you've already got a big billboard on ninety five. You know what's what's fascinating to me is that you would think that the immigrant mentality, which generally is work your ass off, you know, uh, be, be an upstanding member of your community, uh, you know, help those around you. You, you know, as well as I do in Philadelphia, you know, the, each, each pocket of the city has its own, you know, all of the immigrants, uh, of a certain, uh, nationality, they all kind of live near each other, whether you're, you know, there's an Italian section, there's a Russian section, there's a Chinese section, there's a Mexican section, all these different, uh, so, you know, they're, they're very tight knit groups and they're, they're not afraid to work their ass off and they're not afraid to, uh, uh, you know, kind of get their hands dirty. And, and to me nowadays, you know that that just naturally resonates a lot more with the Republican Party than it does the the Democratic Party, which to me the Democratic Party comes off more more entitlement, more you know, more money for doing nothing, more you know, and so it always baffled me that Democrats would kind of take for granted those votes, and those are the votes you're talking about, right? Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think that uh, the Democrats have come to take these people for granted, but these are different people. Um, what I mean is uh, two things that are very alarming to um, our, our immigrant populations in Philadelphia. First, it's the crime. Right. They and are. They want, so, they want law and yeah, order once they get they here, right? You know. Oh, absolutely. They did not come all the way over here to get shot waiting for a bus or to have their right. kids wait to school. Like, they are extremely um, upset about the crime, and, and they cannot understand, like, how did we come from a country worse than America <laughs> to come to a city worse than where we came from? I mean, the police won't answer us. They won't arrest people. Uh, they, you know, the, the police turn a blind eye, and it's because they're told to by this administration. Right. They don't arrest. First of all, retail theft. You know, no one's arresting someone who walks in and takes five hundred dollars worth of items out of your store. You know, they're not prosecuted. Um, the ATVs, dirt bikes, you know, whizzing by, uh, going through red lights. Um, you know, the, the the people with the illegal guns. I'm the whole Kensington Avenue not arresting drug dealers. First of all, it is very hard for them to understand. First of all, it, it's a kind of confusing coming to a new country, a new culture. They try to keep quiet, work hard. But when they look around, they're like, how does the law work here? Like, mm -hmm. what what is broken about this? So that's one thing. The second thing is um, uh, schools. They are uh, leaving the city because of the – first of all, the schools were never fantastic in Philadelphia. We have some great schools, but we have a lot of underperforming schools. They don't live in, in neighborhoods where there are underperforming schools for the most part. When they do, they try to work their way into like – one of the magnet schools or, or they'll, they'll, they'll go to college after after high school. But what they found now is <clears throat> that their kids are getting beat up in school. Right. And the school's got a policy that when some kid gives a physical beat down to your child, that, that kid is there every day after that. They don't suspend them. They don't mm -hmm. remove them. They don't place them anywhere. So a lot of kids now are opting for online learning, which is a problem. And they don't really understand, like, how come the education system here is so poor, and yet the school is occupied with so many things that have nothing to do with uh, reading, writing, and arithmetic. Um, 
and they're very concerned about what their children are learning. So in all of this, it was already difficult in Philadelphia to to start a business, to run a business, uh, to sustain a business, especially after the rioting and all of that. So, so they are very much more inclined um, to to uh, to kind of uh, work hard, but now they're finding that their hard work is not enough. They have to they have that voice. Yeah, and you know, there's a huge difference between when you look at Target moving out of Center City, you look at Wawa closing stores and moving out of Center City, you look at, uh, there's one other uh, big name that just decided, you know, Target's closing that store at 10th and Chestnut, Wawa closed down several stores downtown. You know, when you look at a company like that and you see, okay, $500 worth of retail theft, you think, well, all right, you know, they, they can kind of absorb it. But even those large corporations have said, this is enough. Now imagine being, imagine being a 50 year old immigrant Okay, who runs just a Korean grocery store or or, right. or a deli, you know, in in South Philly or something. And you know, maybe on a day, your your top line is is five hundred dollars on a good day, and somebody can just come in and ransack your business. And you know, and then if God forbid you try to defend yourself, and you yes. and you pull out a gun behind the counter and you shoot the guy, you're arrested and prosecuted. Yeah, which is just you know. So, <laughs> So, so you know, it's like this incident that just happened in New York. Th- these types of yeah. incidents happen all the time. There was that one in Texas where somebody yeah. held the place up. You know, if the police aren't there, and, and I'm not blaming the police. I think there's probably a lot more blame to uh, go around on the district attorneys than the police. Because from the police yeah. that I talk to, they don't feel empowered to do their jobs. They feel they like somebody's going to yeah. get us on cell phone camera doing our job, and we're going to be the next right. Derek Chauvin going to jail. Yeah. So, you know, what what are these people supposed to do when someone comes in and, and ransacks them for five hundred dollars yeah. worth the that's inventory? Why that's why they're leaving. That's why they're leaving. I mean, they're barely making it. They don't have a retirement plan. They don't have, um, you know, I mean, this is their life's uh, uh, kind of uh, effort to put their kids through school and everything. Um, so what happens is they're just trying to make it. Uh, as they are slowly, they're trying to tread water right now. We had, for example, you mentioned Korean stores. We had 70 Korean stores that were put out of business because of the rioting. And the answer they got was, you know, from the police lies, you know, we're we're instructed not to help you. Where, uh, where was that? Where were these stores? This is, oh, this is along Germantown Avenue. Okay. Second Street, West Philly, going through uh, Aramingo Avenue and other parts of uh, North Philadelphia, for example. You know, they, they were put out of business, but when they called the police, you know, the police were told to try to do riot control, and therefore they were not coming to the rescue of any of the store owners. And some of the store owners had to defend their lives, you know, but with with, uh, with firearms, and, you know, then, then that, that, that's dangerous. And, uh, you know, anyone who tries to, to defend themselves or intervene, for example, what, nobody knows what was going to happen on the situation uh, up there in New York City. But there was a person threatening weaker people, and this gentleman jumps in, and he tries to restrain him. And from everything I've seen and everyone else can see on the video, there were mo- multiple people concerned and trying to restrain, not hurt, restrain the, the gentleman. And unfortunately, he did die. But it was not it, is, it was not with the intent to 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 kill him but that's only because there's no police on the subway system uh they're not making arrests they're not uh you know uh taking care of the public so the message is sent that when someone who is weak is getting abused just sit in your seat and look the other way i mean that's a terrible thing for us to do as a society yep. so the mayor has got to make it clear we will enforce every criminal and public safety law in this city. We will not turn a blind eye. You as a police officer will be alert and attentive. Of course, you have to follow the law, but you will not sit back. We will answer calls. Um, we will uh, respond properly, and we will not allow ATVs and dirt bikes to roll through our city because that is sending a really bad message, not not only to people who, who now won't come to our city, uh, not only to the people who are afraid to uh, drive in, in that situation, but to the uh, to the doers themselves. They, they are planning to come to our city to tear up this town because they, they believe that they can, and that is going right. to get them in trouble. 
Yeah. Okay. So a couple things I want to unpack there. You happen to mm-hmm. be a uh, you happen to be a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt, uh, yes. which I just found out about you know a week or two ago because somebody showed me a picture of you uh, training at the gym that I just started training at. So I said, oh, there's there's, there's <laughs> David great, O. It's a great tra- academy, Gracie Academy, fantastic school. I encourage everyone to go there. I mean, we have some great schools in Philadelphia. Philadelphia. And the first thing you'll notice, I mean, you know this, but people go there. Everyone is so very careful about safety. Everyone has a good attitude. Nobody is there to hurt anybody. You're learning how not to get hurt. And a lot of it is you're able to do it in a very efficient way where you're not expending a lot of energy, which also means you're not at great risk of getting hurt yourself. Yeah, and uh, the professor, from what I've seen over the last month, and again, I don't have as much experience as you do. I've been training about five and a half years, but I have enough to know when somebody is just ridiculous. And uh, Professor Brian is uh, world class. I mean, <laughs> oh, he's, he's world class. He yes. just—you can just tell when somebody just has something special and he definitely does. So it's a wonderful gym, but I, so listen, I wanted to go down that uh, road because I wanted to ask you about the incident in New York. Um, And, you know, I went home yesterday for mother's day and my mother said, you know, isn't that a jujitsu move the guy had on him, you know? And I said, yeah, you know, he had him in like uh, in a rear naked choke. And, and so we were trying to kind of parse out the, the, what the onus and obviously he was in the military right and you were in the military and so you know that you get some of that basic uh hand-to-hand combat in the military you get the rear naked choke you get the working from your guard kind of stuff uh through like i guess basic training so my uh i'd like your take as a black belt on what the onus was for that guy to i didn't see the um the criminal who had been arrested 40 times. Uh, I didn't see him pass out uh, while he was in that hold. I, I don't know the details of what happened. Uh, yeah. And it actually didn't look like he had the choke on completely. It looked like he was above his chin. But what did, what, do you know what happened? So, so I don't know kind of like in great deal, detail, but I, from what I've seen of the video, what, what I would say is this. Um, you know, one of the, one of the ways that you can really um, restrain a person so they don't hurt others or hurt themselves is is with a uh, a hold. The hold that he's doing is not is not a choke hold. The hold he's doing uh, is um, it is a sleeper hold, if you will. It's a hold that basically will restrain the person. They can't move around too much. You can exert some pressure to basically squeeze the carotid arteries. It doesn't stop them from ble- uh, breathing. What it does is make them feel sleepy. Right. Um, you know, so, so, so there's nothing wrong with what he did in terms of he wanted to intervene. He should have intervened. Thank goodness he intervened. But when you deal with people, um, persons who may have a history of drug use, uh, mental illness and other issues. You don't know the person's health. Right. You don't also know if they, they don't reach out and grab a knife and stab you. So there, there's a lot you don't know. And so, uh, so the hold that he had was one where he was protected and he was basically restraining um, the person that was acting out and he had the help of a couple other people on the train. And I think people on the train would rather leave that uh, this person who might suddenly act out violently was being, was being restrained. Where I think um, there is a problem is that uh, you don't normally uh, just walk up behind someone and, and put them in a rear naked choke. Right. In this, <laughs> the person the person was a threat to others. So right. so yeah, you had a reason to do that. Um, as you said, the person was resisting. He was moving around. He was not unconscious. He had not basically been put to sleep. He right. was not. I can't breathe. None of that stuff. And so they were trying to just kind of restrain him and restrain him and restrain him. And they seemed to be nobody kicked him. Nobody punched him. uh, Nobody did anything to hurt him. They just tried to restrain him until they felt that they could like release him. One of the problems is if you release him too soon, he may, if he's got a knife, pull out a knife, he may go crazy. People. So, so there were other passengers involved as well. So up till there, I see that it's it, it appears to me to be fine. 
when he did release him, he tried to put him in a position where um, he would be more comfortable. Uh, he would be able to breathe better, those type of things. So I think that indicates he did not intend. Yeah, I guess you know, my question so, is, was he conscious uh, the whole time? He appeared to be conscious. He appeared to be conscious because he was moving around. So he just but, died from lack of blood to the brain kind of. No, I don't I don't think that is the reason why he died. It, would, it wouldn't be that reason because basically when you squeeze the carotid arteries, what it tricks, it's like allergies, right? Allergies your your body is tricked into believing that it's being invaded by something it's got to fight off that actually is pretty harmless but it's, a, it's an allergy and so when when there is a, a a rear naked choke and and you're you're you know it's kind of like the word choke nowadays you could call it a rear naked squeeze right. anyway the thing is now if you don't know what you're doing by the way yes it it it, it changes it changes from a rear naked uh, choke, which is um, basically not cutting off the uh, airway, if you move towards the wrist, you squeeze the, um, the Adam's apple. The windpipe, the yeah. Yeah, that becomes, that becomes painful. Uh, it, it's different, but none of those things seem to occur. Um, what happens is, however, that um, when people are, um, we call it freaking out, when they're freaking out because they're they're mentally shocked that is restraining them and they don't know what the intention of you know is of the person restraining them they they hyperventilate they 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 become tremendous anxiety their heart is racing their blood pressures changing that's one of the reasons why they faint so quickly is their body's basically doing what it's supposed to do physiologically but we're just not used to it and so your blood sugars your adrenaline your chemicals everything's going crazy and basically you pass out um in this case if he has some other issues it it, it may it can be very deadly and, and so one of the important things about training, and I did this in city council, I tried to introduce a resolution to have mandatory uh, minimum force training for police officers so that they understand what they're doing. Because I, I have said that when legislators simply legislate things, it is oftentimes has a really un unintended consequences that mm -hmm. makes matters worse. And so what, 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 where I think the issue is, is could he have released uh, earlier? Was he aware that even though he may not feel like he's hurting this person, if the person that he's dealing with has um, underlying, let's say, medical condition or drug addiction issues or things like that, that he may be more susceptible to um, uh, injuring himself all by himself. And uh, I, example I give, by the way, is I just I, I just don't see any, I just don't see an instance where if the guy is still conscious and he's still moving and writhing around, yeah. where you can just let him go. You can't. Yeah. The only thing that I would take exception with, and I didn't. Mm -hmm. I'm asking yep. because I didn't see the end of the video and I didn't have an answer right. yesterday for my mother. The only thing I would take exception with is if the guy went limp. You know, and then you you kept the hold on him, and then you you know, then you're crossing the boundary between restraint and right. murder. Right. I, that's where we. I, I I would agree with you as well. I will just add this for your listeners. I I, I met a like I was in class, and this is before I was a black belt. Uh, I met a guy who's a. I knew him in college. He, he's an athlete. He's a great shape. He runs. He was in fantastic shape. We did a little bit of a roll. And um, he was telling me, I can't breathe, I can't breathe. It's not because I was doing anything to him. He had tried with so much effort to get me off of him. You know, mm -hmm. I had him, had him in a hold. Nowhere, no, not touching his neck or anything like that. He was struggling so much that all of that energy caught up with him yep. and couldn't breathe. I got off of him. You could imagine, like, he really could not breathe. And believe me, I've been there, and I guess you've been there as well. David, um, I have, I have a, like, actual, like, general anxiety disorder, and I'm extremely claustrophobic. So there have been times where I've been, uh, somebody's in mount, and yes. they're just smothering me. Yes. And, and I get right there. Everything goes on overdrive, and yep. then, it's, then it's me versus myself yep. at that point. And it's, you yes. can get out of breath from doing nothing. Absolutely. And so the cool thing that you're learning now is to calm down, mm -hmm. control 
breathing, control your heart rate. Well, for someone who's never done this before, you know, so he's has, so I just get off him. Uh, you know, I just let him know, Hey, calm down. It's going to pass. It's going to pass. But because I've been there too, I know that he really, there's nothing on his chest or his neck, but he cannot breathe. So, so the training is important. And, and in, in the Marine Corps, the army, you get some basic, maybe basically kind of wrestling, jujitsu, grappling type of skills. But, but when you're in an actual um, conflict, uh, everything is hyped up. So the training is important to then let this guy go, release, release, and not just release, calm down, calm down. Can you breathe, right. breathe? Okay, man, you're okay, calm down. Listen, nobody's here to hurt you, calm down. You're going to get your breath, let it pass, let it pass. You, know, you just got to talk to them. And so, so whose fault is that? Number one, to me. If the city is not training its police officers that they are authorizing to come into physical contact with people, because you could shoot someone, we don't want police to do that if it's not necessary. Sure. But but if you're treating if you're training them to use maximum force to put someone out or take someone out, you should train them to use minimum force as gently as possible, and and they'll have the option, right? But, but if they don't know what they're doing, if you have not trained them, then that is the city's fault. I, I always blame the employer when you have taught the employee to do a task and they do it just like you taught them. Right, but wrong. <laughs> yeah, you can't blame the employee. And, and so now that we have had this several times, you know, my, my, my resolution was defeated. And it's just shocking to me. Um, that we have a city where so many people talk about, in, in politicians talking about, you know, um, de-escalation. Why would you, why well, would you vote? They've never that? been there, David. The problem is, you know, there's two groups of people. There's people that live in reality that under, yes. that under, that, you know, that have been in fights before, that have been the yeah. victims of crime before. I know that you were stabbed back in 2017. I know you've been yeah. the victim of a crime before. There's, there's sure. people that, you know, I'm a business analyst, you know, uh, for a living. So I see yep. how the sausage is made behind the scenes. Yep. I get how everything kind of, so there's people that see the world that way. And there's people that see the world in this idealistic kind of fairy tale where, oh, you know, let's just, you know, we can deescalate everything. No matter how many times that guy's been arrested, no matter what kind of drugs he's on, no matter what, whether or not he's in his right <laughs> mind, oh, we can just deescalate it. And when it, when the attitude changes for people on the left david is when it happens to them you know like right. in seattle when the when the protesters show up on the mayor's lawn oh all of a sudden it's a different story then or when you know when the mayor is walking through a bad part of town they have armed protection with them right and, and, exactly. and so uh, you know the idea of furnishing this fairy tale that this stuff isn't going on out there uh, it's a fool's errand. Listen, I want to ask you about a couple other things. I, we're, sure. we're running, uh, we've got about 15 minutes. But let's uh, tell me your plan for Kensington Avenue. It's a huge issue in this city that is the drug epicenter right. of Philadelphia. I know that you have a, uh, not radical, but you have a decisive plan for dealing with yeah. uh, Kensington Avenue. Sure about and, and I'll just start with this. I fully understand Kensington, uh, you know, and, and I, I, I'm certainly happy to explain that further. The problem I see is people who do not understand Kensington have a lot of theoretical, academic, or, you know, right. kind of weapon plan. The, same the number same of, exact thing I'm just talking about, right? The, yeah, the, exactly. You can't, so, so you can't, you know, can't figure it out on a spreadsheet in, in, yes. in Microsoft Excel from the PhD lab at Penn, right. you know. Yeah, they don't they don't uh, understand the subject matter. So, so the, the real problem is they are focused on an individual or individuals. In this case, they're focused on the drug addicted person. The problem with Kensington is the, um, the, the avenue itself. What it is doing, because the city has turned it into a lawless uh, place where you can get your drugs out in the open, shoot yourself in the neck right in front of like police and everything and everybody knows there's nothing that's going to happen you can prostitute right out in the open you defecate on people's property you live in a tent on the side like everything tells people who are already far gone they're not casual heroin users anymore they are drug addicted their mentality is changing 
it tells them like leave Chester County, leave Camden County, leave Bucks County, uh, come to Philadelphia and just live here. Everything is at your doorstep and, and it creates just a horrendous problem. It is the volume. So, um, you know, it, it is a matter of capacity. You can't put a hundred gallons in a two gallon, you know, a container. Right. What Kensington Avenue is doing, it is bringing people on the subway system in cars in every which way to come and purchase and, and, and they leave. But each time a, a group of people ends up staying and they stay and they stay and it's overwhelming. Uh, so the amount of people coming in to purchase drugs um, the drug addicted, they are getting their money, like let's say $140 in cash a day, seven days a week, you know, never ending in the morning, in the evening, you know, getting, getting their, uh, getting their, uh, nowadays fentanyl, if not trank, um, you know, to, to shoot up with the, the, the issue is that, um, a, a corner that is making $200,000 a week is not held by anything but murder right. the threat of murder or actual murder and you know these um these uh, entrepreneurs who come in to do burn bags are now in conflict with the drug dealers the drug dealers need to get paid there's credit issues most people don't understand the drug trade there's a consignment situation oftentimes like you you're getting those drugs on credit you need to come up with the money to pay the person. Uh, you may have some conversation for a while, but you know, and and there's all different levels of, of but what happens to the money? The money oftentimes goes back into other illegal activities, which then uh, kind of um, aggravates the situation further. So the big thing you need to do is stop the flow of people coming in. You know, people say, well, you can't stop it. They'll just move to another another corner, another street. No, no, they won't. You're, you're stopping the fact that they're choosing to leave where they are. They can get heroin where they are. They can get fentanyl where they are. They're coming to Philadelphia because of what we did as a government. When you stop that, you slow that down, you, you, you basically, you know, arrest the drug dealers. You arrest the drug addicted you deal with the fact that they need detox, mental health, you know, all that stuff. Um, you, you clean up the community. You send a message that there shall be law. There's no reason why there wouldn't be law enforcement in this area. I mean, why is this area not like any other area? And so people can now, you know, come out of their homes. The children can play, clean up the place. And with the reduction, we can begin to deliver quality Care. Quality care is what's missing. And the thing that I find like so very problematic is this city lies. Uh, you know, it, it is saying that they cannot remove people from the uh, from the streets and sidewalks of Kensington unless they have a residence. In other words, the city is going to provide a residence. That is beyond ridiculous. It, the city cannot and will not do that. That is a that is just nonsense. But it is something to say that people who have good intentions hear that and oh, we're going to build them a residence. No, we're not. And I try to tell people, listen, if I take in two stray cats, okay, I'm a good person. I can't take in two hundred, and they're all dying and diseased and 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 pooping all over my house and peeing. You know, that's how you end up in those horrible situations. The city is like that. It is like a well-intended person who brings in like a thousand cats into their living room and uh, they're all starving to death. It's like inhumane. But the people who are good-hearted, they don't think about the residents. They don't think about the school kids. And quite frankly, don't think about the young people that are trapped in the drug trade, getting murdered, getting maimed, ending up in jail. The whole, there is no good that comes from letting a place like Kensington exist. And when I hear people say, oh, yeah, we, we can't do anything, you're talking about something that doesn't work. It absolutely does work. It always has worked. Policing works. Then someone comes along and stops policing. Now, what right. policing won't do, it won't solve the underlying problems. It won't, yes, we need underlying things 
be resolved. But that hasn't been done either. So, yeah, we need good schools. Yeah, we need jobs. Yeah, we need all. But, yes, enforcement does work, and it and it works to, to reduce and contain crime to an extent that people can, can live and walk around. Yeah, there's always been, you know, uh, alcoholism, and there's always been, like, drug addiction to a degree up and around Kensington since the jobs left in the 1950s into the 60s, 70s. But it's never been like this. This is beyond ridiculous what it is what is happening there and and because people cannot solve this problem they just basically um they uh procrastinate right with our rhetoric which is just hurting people more and more and it's getting worse and worse you know every every month it is and it's it's noticeably worse like the last 15 years i mean because when i first moved to the city it was always you know don't go to don't go to Kensington. Don't go up to K and A. Every once in a while, you have to go up there for something. Yeah. You got an errand to run, yeah. whatever. <clears throat> you know, I was just up there. Uh, what the hell did I go up there for? I think to renew my concealed carry permit, I had to go up there somewhere. Yeah. And uh, yeah. and just what it looked like 15 years ago versus what it looks like now. It's just, I mean, it it yeah. sadly looks like a lost lost cause at, at this point. And, Absolutely. Uh, let let's. It, it, I know yeah. we, we only have five minutes left, so I want to ask you another yeah. question. I'm sorry. Yeah. What's yeah. along those lines? What's the plan for the dirt bikes and the ATVs? Personally, people that listen to my podcast know it's my biggest pet peeve. I I can't stand it. I can't. First off, you have yeah. crowds now jumping on cars, destroying yeah. property. Then you have all these unlicensed drivers. So those immigrants that come here and take the time to fucking figure out how to read English so they can pass their driver's test. Yeah so they can get licensed and registered, are out for a drive, and meanwhile, it's like a demilitarized zone from the year 2050. Yeah. You know, you get a group of 100 kids driving through the city on ATVs. What's the plan to stop that? So this is what I would do. First of all, I would tell everybody, because you got to give them, you got to give them, like, this is not the city it was last week. Right. This is a new city, new mayor. I have a new police commissioner, and basically... I have told all the officers, this is what you shall do. You shall have 100% backing by this administration and the mayor when you do your job. Do not, you know, violate anybody's rights. Sure. So what happens is with the ATVs, we can basically understand where they're gathering. They gather on social media. Um, we, ha you know, me, I'm using drones. In Kensington Avenue, I'm doing a lot of drone work up there. And for the ATVs, we follow them with drones and we block off the route they're going to with trash trucks and other things. And basically some of them will escape, but basically we'll squeeze them in and basically we'll confiscate their vehicles. Now I must obey state law. <laughs> That's a great so, plan. Oh, oh yeah. Listen, we're, uh, you know, we're, we're, we are, the city could do it today. The mayor doesn't want to do it. So what I'm going to do, is once we have confiscated, I know, the but there's a lot of people that would applaud that because that, that's a, that's not just like a good, that's not just a great plan to solve the problem. That's like something you would see in a movie. You know, you you yes. kind of funnel everybody into one area of the city, you block them in with trash trucks, and you just yep. send the cops and you confiscate the vehicles, and you know, right, right. So I will follow the state law in how we confiscate. But basically, look, the, the people aren't going to they're going to have to come get their vehicles. You know, if they can, you know, they have to be licensed and all that stuff, you know, insured and all that. It's stored at their expense. They don't come to get it. We crush them. And it's a big to do. I'll publicize it because what I want to send the message as quickly as possible to young people watching is, you know, how you were planning to come to Philadelphia next month? Don't bother. Right. Because, you know, they're coming here to do donuts in the middle of the street in front of the art museum right downtown. They're never going to be able to do that in the towns and cities they live in because no one will tolerate that. Right. Well, we're not tolerating it now either. And once we have, uh, you know, made an example out of some people. Now, you know, the thing is, what this mayor is afraid of is if you chase the ATVs and dirt bikes, someone's the riders are going to get hurt. Uh, my thing is, listen. Uh, we don't want anyone to get hurt, and we don't want them to hurt anyone as they blow through red lights and all that. However, they are hurting people currently. So we are going to um, intelligently reduce those, like, 200, 300 vehicles. 
we can better handle 20 or 50. Right. Uh, we'll, we'll deal with the 20 or 50 until we get to like five or six. Um, but we will not have that. So, so once they disperse, we will follow them back to where they are and confiscate their vehicles there. And by the way, a lot of these vehicles are also related to the d- drug trade, as are the firearms. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I believe, you know, that the mayor has to take it on the chin. So somebody will say, you're a rotten person, some kid got hurt. And I'm saying like, okay, well, you know, I'm not responsible for them getting hurt. They're responsible for themselves. They're not like 12 Correct. years old. You know, so, Correct. you know, so so we shall. And if you have an illegal weapon, you know, you should have, go to jail. should have thought about it before you drove an unlicensed vehicle erratically That's, the wrong way down a yes. one-way street. Should have thought about it before you got on the subway and started, you know, violently yeah. threatening people. You yeah, know, and I'm... And I'm not like Jim Kenny. I'm not going to settle these ridiculous lawsuits that he's settling to basically give people money after they violated the law and and really, right. you know, put a lot of people at risk. Wow. That is the mayor settling these things. I will not be settling these cases. It is it is high time for him to uh, to retire. Uh, I don't yeah. really know what else to say. He lives in the same neighborhood as me. I'm sure he's a lovely person in real life. I'm sure he's a wonderful well, family well, member yeah. and whatever. But everybody yeah. that I talk to that, you know, specifically a lot of people in the restaurant industry, many of whom are Democrats, just tell me all he does is complain about his job. He hates his job. We've seen him on TV say, I can't wait to not be mayor. You know, it's it's time to, to pass the torch. And I think... A good thing to end on here is what you just said, just coming in, David, and saying this is a new city, different city than it was last week, different mayor, different police commissioner, different rules. I think just starting right there would be a great place to uh, to start. I want to be mindful. I know you have to go. I'd like to invite yeah. you back, though, at some point before be November. Back. Can we do it again? Yeah. Absolutely. Thank you so very much. Yeah, because I want to take a deep dive on a lot of the issues next time. So maybe we can block off an hour or two where we can really talk about things and, and do do a podcast that you can publicize uh, before the race. Right. Cool. That'd be great. All right, David. It was a pleasure speaking to you. Wish you the best of luck. All right. Thank you very much. You have a great day. Take care. That was the one, the only David O. Wonderful guy. Philadelphia. Council member, uh, nice job, Chris. Haven't even had a beer yet. Maybe that's the problem, actually. Former Philadelphia council member and now currently running as the sole Democrat, God bless him, in Philadelphia, the city that helped elect John Fetterman. He's got his work cut out for him. We'll just say that. (laughs) But a hell of a nice guy. All right, fools, I am out of here. Have a wonderful, wonderful day. Peace.